You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Lee Wong. On a cold December evening in 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 departed New York's JFK Airport for Miami. Captain Bob Loft, a veteran pilot with nearly 30,000 flight hours, commanded this flight, and everything that evening was routine until the flight began its approach to Miami International Airport. At 11.34 p.m., Captain Loft informed air traffic control that they would have to abandon their approach and that the plane would have to circle around the airport. And just a few moments later, Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades, killing over 100 passengers. It was the first ever wide-body aircraft crash and one of the largest and worst airline crashes in U.S. history. However, investigators would soon discover that the plane, which was only four months old, had been in perfect working condition. So what went wrong? And what exactly does any of this have to do with our lives today? Well, hang in there with me. I'm going to answer those questions. As the flight crew prepared for landing, Loft's co-pilot noticed something odd. The gear indicator, a tiny green light, had not lit up. Now, this indicated that the landing gear in the plane's nose, that little wheel at the front of the plane, that it was not locked in the down position. But the problem wasn't the landing gear. The problem was that that tiny green light bulb had burned out. Captain Loft then sent his flight engineer to an area beneath the cockpit to verify the landing gear's position. Meanwhile, Loft and his co-pilot became distracted and hyper-focused on fixing that tiny green light. Annoyed, they failed to notice that the autopilot had inadvertently been turned off. An altitude alert sounded, which they all would have heard had they not all been preoccupied. And because it was a dark, moonless night, there was no visual indication that the plane was gradually descending. The cause of the crash was officially cited as a failure to monitor instruments and a preoccupation with the gear indicator. In other words, over 100 lives were tragically lost because the crew lost sight of what really mattered, the plane's altitude. The Flight 401 tragedy surfaces a universal truth that every single one of us needs to be mindful of if we want to thrive. And that universal truth is this. When we miss what really matters, lives come crashing down. When we miss what really matters, lives come crashing down. Now, just like the pilots, you and I are capable, intelligent individuals, and we all mean well. I mean, none of us intentionally neglect what's important to us. We all just have this natural tendency to give our attention to what screams the loudest in the moment. We all have this natural tendency to focus on tiny green light bulbs instead of minding our altitude, like having a laundry list of things to do but you get sucked down the rabbit hole of Netflix binges and YouTube videos, right? There's some great stuff out there. 
And like when putting out fires, attending meetings, responding to emails gets in the way of you doing the actual job you're hired to do. Or when you keep putting off a visit to the doctors because it interferes with your work schedule or your children's schedule. Or when you're enamored by a coworker's attention. He thinks you are so amazing and it begins to impact intimacy at home. Or when you're doing a great thing, you're firing on all cylinders, working to give your children the life you never had while sacrificing time with them. Now, what matters is subjective. It varies from person to person. But there are some things that none of us should miss. There are some things that will distinguish whether we live a life truly thriving or a life just merely surviving, unfulfilled, full of regrets. Like with Flight 401, we often don't realize we miss what really matters until it's too late. And when we miss what really matters, our lives will come crashing down. None of us want that. And so, what should each of us be hyper-focused on? I mean, what really matters in this life? And how can you and I know for sure that we will never miss what really matters again? Well, when Jesus came on the scene, his first followers had a preoccupation with their daily needs. Their land and wealth had been stolen from them. An unjust government heavily taxed them. Their own religious leaders sold out to the Roman Empire. And for them, there was no justice. They felt completely abandoned by God. And so finding ways to merely survive screamed the loudest to them in that moment. It mattered the most. And so they were hyper-focused on gaining some kind of control over their lives. They lived their lives their way as their own gods and kings, building and protecting their own personal kingdoms. It's all they'd ever known. One day, while teaching his followers how to truly thrive, Jesus challenged their perspective head on. And he said, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, Jesus was saying to his first followers, watch out. You guys are focused on that tiny green light bulb instead of minding your altitude. You're missing what really matters and your lives are in danger of crashing down. Now, this seems a bit extreme of Jesus to say, think about it. Food, drink, clothes, they're all important matters. They're all things that we need to get by and to not get arrested. And so was Jesus just imposing a new religious code? I mean, did he expect his followers to live as ascetics that abstain from anything pleasurable? Or could he have been surfacing a greater issue? Listen to what he said next. He said, you have little faith, do not worry then, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And Jesus' point, why give your best energy to things God himself promises to provide? 
We don't need to live our lives as our own gods and kings trying to figure out ways to truly thrive. We don't need to miss what really matters as we build and protect our own personal kingdoms. What matters is that we yield our lives to the only one qualified to rule as God and King. Now, if you were here last weekend, you might recall that we looked at the evidence that proves with absolute certainty that Jesus is the one true God and King. And so we can trust everything he has to say. But I get it. I mean, you guys heard my story. I understand your skepticism. I sat in those seats for years questioning the guy with the microphone. I mean, for someone who is struggling to merely survive, it sounds like such a cop-out to simply say, just trust God. He's got this. Just trust God. And so we're going to look at some more evidence today, evidence that Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about, evidence that proves that yielding our lives to Jesus yields the life we're all striving for. And so why would Jesus suggest that Worrying about these things is losing sight of what really matters. I mean, why should we believe our lives would come crashing down if we're preoccupied with our own personal kingdoms? On the original text of Scripture, the term from which we translate the word worry is the Greek word merimnate. Marimnate was commonly used in a negative sense for someone who had a preoccupation with his own interests, like someone living as his own God and king, hyper-focused on building and protecting his own personal kingdom. Now, you and I, we Marimnate, we look to protect our interests when we don't feel supported at home or work, when we believe our classmates or our coworkers don't like us. When we think someone will take credit for the work we did. When we pay attention to overhyped news stories or we fear layoffs may be around the corner. Well, there's a huge problem when we're preoccupied with ourselves. The stress hormone cortisol begins to seep through our veins. Now, cortisol is designed to alert us to possible threats to our lives, possible threats to our kingdoms. And whether this threat is real or imagined, our brain does not care. Our brains want us to just simply survive. And so we experience these low, regular releases of cortisol. The stress and the anxiety we feel those neurochemicals flowing through our bloodstreams inhibit us from doing anything well except marimnate, except protecting our own interests. And so it's easy for us to miss what really matters. It's easy for us to focus on tiny green lights instead of minding our altitude. And there's this vicious cycle that happens. When we are concerned with ourselves, we become easily stressed. And when we are stressed, we become more concerned with ourselves. And it's just the cycle that continues. Well, our bodies eventually adapt to living with this constant cortisol, and that is a terrible thing. Perhaps it's why Jesus then asked, and who of you, by being worried, could add a single hour to his life? You see, a constant flow of cortisol does serious damage to our health. 
It increases blood pressure and inflammatory responses. It wreaks havoc with our glucose metabolism and it impairs our ability to think, to remember, to process thoughts. It increases aggression, suppresses our sex drive, and here is the killer, literally. When we live preoccupied with our own interests, our bodies turn off non-essential functions like digestion and growth and our immune system, causing us to be even more vulnerable to deadly diseases. It's no wonder many of us hyper-focused on building and protecting our personal kingdoms are so unhappy. It's no wonder many feel like we are merely surviving because biologically, that is exactly what's happening in us. In fact, living as our own gods and kings, missing what really matters is quietly killing us. So what Jesus was saying holds true. And when we miss what really matters, our lives come crashing down. So then what are we supposed to do instead? I mean, what should we be preoccupied with? Well, Jesus answered this. And because it mattered to the king, it should matter to us. Listen to what he said. He said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Now that's it. That's what really matters. And not only that, Jesus said the life that we're all striving for by trying to build and protect our own kingdoms, the life we want is found in doing this. If we want to shift from a life of merely surviving to truly thriving, we have to get this and we have to get it right. And so practically, what does it mean to seek first his righteousness? Now, Normally, when we see or hear the word righteousness, we think of overly religious people, right? Bible thumpers who love to show the world just how much better they are than you and me and just how much they matter. But that's not at all what Jesus meant. Righteousness, as he used it, isn't about being better at religion. Righteousness, as he used it, is a Jewish concept in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it's best illustrated by a man named Job. Listen to how Job described clothing himself in righteousness. He said, I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. I broke the jaws of the wicked and I snatched the prey from his teeth. Seeking the king's righteousness is living such that, not that, Proving to the world how much you matter, but that others would know how much they inherently matter. Seeking the king's righteousness is becoming deeply involved in others' lives so that their hearts sing for joy. It's being dissatisfied with halfway measures for people and being hyper-focused on authentic connection. It's being discontent with half-hearted interactions and taking time to learn others' stories. Seeking the king's righteousness is understanding that people, not money, power, or legacy, but people alone have eternal value. And if we're going to be preoccupied with anything, Jesus said, let it be with eternal things. Let it be with con connecting with people. And the truth is, 
whether or not we realize it, deep connection in our relationships is what we all truly want. But sadly, many won't realize it's what really matters until it's too late. For many years, palliative nurse Bronnie Ware provided special care for patients with life-threatening diseases. She noticed that her dying patients would again and again express the same regrets about their lives. And so she recorded their wisdom for the world in her 2011 book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And here's what her dying patients said. They said, I wish I hadn't lived the life the world expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had expressed my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish I had let myself laugh and be silly with others. In their final days, Bronnie's patients realized that deep connection with others, seeking the king's righteousness, is all that really matters. They discovered that aiming for the corner office wasn't worth neglecting their marriage. Building their own kingdoms wasn't worth sacrificing their children's youth. Striving to live as their own gods and kings wasn't as golden and enriching, enriching as the friendships they let slip by. And fear of missing out on what the world defines as thriving caused them to pursue a life they ultimately regretted. When we miss what really matters, lives come crashing down. And Jesus knew this. He knew that if we lived as our own gods and kings, if we were preoccupied with our own personal kingdoms, that we would one day regret it. And he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to waste our lives or to live merely surviving. He wants us to truly thrive, to focus on a high soaring altitude and not tiny green lights. This is why he has commanded us for our own good, commanded us to continuously seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's eternal. It's why City Church downtown emphasizes joining or starting a tribe of your own. It's not about better religion. It's about better connection and valuing eternal things. And guess what? Modern medical research shows that deep connection in relationships diminishes the effects of cortisol in our bodies. But will living this way really work? I mean, can we really trust that yielding our lives to Jesus Will it really yield the lives that we're all striving for? Harla would suggest yes. Some of you may have seen Harla around our city church campuses. She is a cherished volunteer and woman's recovery tribe leader. In April 2014, she stepped away from her roles as a biopsy revealed that she had endometrial and ovarian cancer. The doctors successfully removed the tumors, but last April, in 2015, a follow-up CT scan revealed that the cancerous tumors had returned and they were growing more aggressively than before. So Harla embarked on a taxing chemotherapy journey 
And given her circumstances, she would have had a free pass to Maramnate, to be preoccupied with her own interests. I mean, who would have judged her for that? Instead, she said, it's not like God is surprised by this. She continued to focus on what matters, yielding her life to Jesus and deeply connecting with other people. And just as he promised, God provided for her every need through an amazing group of women who took her to her appointments, who prepared her meals for her, who comforted her. And then on Thursday, October 22nd of last year at 6.35 p.m., with that amazing group of women at her side, Harla passed away. And at her memorial, her daughters and hundreds of friends celebrated her life. They shared story after story about how she impacted them, that she brought joy in the midst of their pain, that she counseled them when their marriages were falling apart, that she mentored them when they needed direction. And there was no question with whose kingdom she was preoccupied. Harla may not have survived her battle with cancer, but she died truly thriving in peace, with joy, and without regret because she lived without missing what really matters in pursuing the eternal. Harla is a testament that yielding to the king, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness yields the life we all want. And so why should we regret in our dying days what we could live for today? Why would any of us miss what really matters when the king has already told us all what to seek first? One of the things I learned about Harla at her memorial that has inspired me, that even at her weakest, she found ways to seek first the king's righteousness and to deeply connect with others. From her hospital bed in the midst of her suffering, she constantly sent out text messages to her daughters and to her friends, reminding them that they were princes and princesses of the one true God and King, and reminding them that they mattered, that they mattered to her, but more importantly, they mattered to God no matter what. And I'll tell you, for the recipients, it had a profound impact on their lives. It mattered to them. And so here's what I want us to do in this moment as the band continues to play. I want us to begin taking our first practical steps at seeking first the king's righteousness and deeply connecting with others. There is someone in your life who matters to you, who you haven't been connecting with as you'd like in a long time. So I want you to think of that person. It could be a friend, a parent, a child, a sibling. And then I want us to do what Harla would do from her hospital bed. I'm gonna ask you right now to send a text message to that individual that simply says, you matter to me. And you may go as far as saying you matter to God. And so would you get out your phones and 
message that individual or Facebook message them. And then when we're done, we're going to ask God to bless that relationship. So as you continue texting, typing, you got some homework. I'm going to ask that this week you just follow up with that individual, whether text or phone call, lunch, coffee, invite them over for dinner, but just connect with them. And I'm going to pray over you as you continue to do this. So Father, we just, we thank you. Again, that this week you have provided the evidence that yielding our lives to you yields the life that we want. The evidence that you alone are the only one qualified to rule our lives. So Lord, it is our prayer for the strength, for the endurance, the guidance, God, that we would continue to submit ourselves to you, that we would continue to seek first your righteousness and to open our eyes and that we may value people the only eternal thing. So Father, this text message that we are sending, we pray that you would bless this connection, restore relationships, strengthen relationships for your glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.